Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I love that weather forecast. We're eating on the deck tonight, I think. You know, that, that this is... This is just a great time of year. Um, the, a lot of mosquitoes that are out, but they don't come out till dark, so you still got that time. Go out, have a nice dinner, enjoy being outside. We'll be out on our deck and, and get inside before the mosquitoes come out. All right. Does he know something? Is he on to something? I am referring to a village trustee up in Kewaskum. His name is Dave Spenner. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because, well, he was the Racine police chief from around 2001 to 2006. So he, he was a Racine police chief for about five years. Before that, he spent about 27 years as a Milwaukee police officer. So here you have a guy who spent a career in law enforcement in different different roles. He's now a village trustee up in Kewaskum. He's getting attention because here's what he's saying. He's saying, I think that what we should do up in Kewaskum is we should issue a warning to all our residents of Kewaskum to avoid Milwaukee during the Democratic National Convention for their own safety. So, you know, we, we've got all sorts of warnings. We've got travel advisories that are out, and, and we've got quarantine orders. Well, here is what here is what the trustee, here's what Dave Spenner is saying. Any, here, quote, an unsuspecting motorist or pedestrian can find themselves in the middle of a protest. Some of those protests are peaceful. Some are dangerous. He says, look, what's happened is in Milwaukee, you've had the withdrawal of dozens of police departments from convention security. You've got restrictions on police use of tear gas in Milwaukee. You've got a shakeup at the top of the Milwaukee Police Department, including getting rid rid of uh, the last chief, Al Morales, who was definitely a law and order chief. Okay, so now on the Kewaskum Village Board, he's introduced a proclamation calling for a travel advisory. Now, this wouldn't ban Kewaskum residents from coming to Milwaukee, but it would warn residents to avoid Milwaukee from the day before until the day after the convention. He says, I think it's imperative that we take notice of what's happening in the city of Milwaukee and that we should forewarn our citizens. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, wh- whether the village of Kewaskum issues a travel advisory or not, that, that's really not the question because people can decide for themselves what they want to do. But I want to talk about the basic premise. Is, is this Kewaskum village trustee onto something? Do you believe that while the Democratic National Convention, even in its completely diluted, watered-down form, is going to be going on, given all the stuff that's been going on in Milwaukee, the the different protests, and we're going to talk about what's been happening in Walwatosa over the course of the last couple of days in just a little bit. But you know, he, he's saying, look, I, I just think you don't know what you're going to be driving into. You do not know what you're going to be confronting. So it's best to err on the side of caution and stay the heck away. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I don't know about unreasonably dangerous, but I, I, I will tell you this. 
I think given the fact that you are going to have demonstrators who, even in the watered-down version, they're, they're, they're going to be around. Um, you've got limits that have been placed on the police. I, I certainly understand where he's coming from. If I had something I had to do in downtown Milwaukee during the week of the convention, would I do it? Yeah. Would I be going out of my way to get into the middle of whatever is going to be going on? I don't think so. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You think it's good advice to avoid the area around the convention over the course of the next week or so. 855-616-1620. I understand where he's coming from. Like I say, if I had something I had to do, downtown Milwaukee, would I go? Yeah, I, I, I would. Wouldn't stop me from doing something I had to do. Would I... I don't go out of my way to go down there and perhaps get stuck in the middle of some demonstration or something. No, I wouldn't go out of my way. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Before we go to the phones, there's a couple of texts. Jeff, I would not go downtown or near downtown after sunset. The protests turn into riots as the hours wear on. Um, Jeff, I am a vendor at the Democratic National Convention. They've spent a lot of foolish money setting it up. Now have pulled tents and generators, putting up electric screens and Secret Service fencing. fencing. Nobody is supposed to be there. Um, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. Jeff, um, I would not go downtown uh, anytime soon. Jeff, I would absolutely avoid the area. The police have no power, and goodness knows what crazy things will be happening. I will gladly stay away. Jeff, I live in Bayview. The closest I ever get to downtown now is Denny's Tavern. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. They're advising the people who go to the convention not to go to the bars. Jeff, I live in Milwaukee, and I avoid Milwaukee at all costs, meaning that I do all errands outside of the city, groceries, doctor, gasoline, car washes, and everything else. The drivers are nuts. The shoplifting I've seen at Milwaukee stores is outrageous, and nothing gets done about it. Jeff, good for him. I don't need someone to tell me that. Um, I avoid Milwaukee at all costs except to go to the VA. Let's start with Bill in Greendale. Bill, you're in WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. It's your handy air conditioning repair Oh, man, hi, Dan. Bill. How are you? And thankfully, I haven't needed any I'm air good. conditioning repairs anytime recently. Yep. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Hey, I, um, I'm driving downtown Milwaukee right now, and I, I work, you know, when you say Milwaukee, that's a big area, but downtown Milwaukee, yeah, there, there's, no reason, there's no reason to be there. Um, it, it's not great anymore. You know, if you go down Capitol Drive or Silver Spring or, or any of the, the east-west northern thoroughfare, it, it's, it's, it's not safe. Um, I wouldn't want my wife or my child being there. I have no problem working there. I'm used to it. I see it every day, but I have family members that live in different areas, Marshall or, you know, out in the out in the sticks maybe you'd call it and they they think Milwaukee is they wouldn't go within 25 miles of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm I'm not surprised that that gentleman feels the way that he does and feels the need to issue that. I laughed when you first said it. I yeah. thought it was so funny, but then as you gave me time uh, as I took it in a little bit yeah, Milwaukee is not great. We're not we're not taking real good care of it. Well, and and I mean his point. Thanks a lot for the call, Bill. I appreciate it. You know, and, and his point is, his point is, it's not avoid Milwaukee permanently. He's saying like okay, during the the convention, 
Um, you, you have the police that have essentially, what you, you have is you have a common council, you have a political leadership that has essentially directed the police to stand down. When you had a police chief that was at least even tried to be somewhat aggressive in dealing with the protests and that type of stuff. What what happened? He ended up getting fired. I mean that that's just or demoted or whatever. That that's kind of the bottom line. Now here I have a text, Jeff. Um, Spinner should um, take a chill pill and calm down. For all practical purposes, there is no convention. What are all the protesters going to protest? No one's listening. Oh, on the contrary, um, the, the stories are that it, it doesn't matter. There, there's protesters coming to Milwaukee, even though there's not going to be delegates or anything like that. No, I mean, I, I think there is going to be a degree of protest because the protesters what they're going to be trying to do is get themselves on on television. They're going to be trying to get national exposure, and you get that by going where there is a national event, even if it's an incredibly watered down event. Let's talk to Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. You, you just stole my thunder. Uh, yes, the protesters are probably going to be more emboldened because of the national media. All the camera ones that be on Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, the protesters are giving uh, Milwaukee as a, a uh, kind of unsafe and un, uh, unfriendly place to visit. And it's not just downtown. You can go visit Aunt Betty in uh, some residential neighborhood and marching down your street and you can't get into her house or out of her house. Well, I mean, uh, the yeah. national media is going to be all over this. Well, I mean, right. I, I think that that's, I mean, clearly, I mean, thanks to call. Clearly, there's going to be, there's going to be some activity that, that that's out there. And I do think it, it is fair. And the point he's making is, you know, there, there was originally this plan. Now, I, good, granted, I understand that the convention isn't going to look like anything like people thought it was going to look six or seven months ago. But the, the reality is you have a lot of police agencies across the state who have decided they're, they're not going to send their officers here because they think it is too dangerous for their officers. They think that you're, you're essentially, if there are protesters and there's acts of violence and things like that, the directives that the Fire and Police Commission have have made it very, very difficult for officers to defend themselves, and they don't want to send their officers into a position where they're, they're essentially not going to be able to use things like tear gas or whatever to disperse crowds. Now, hopefully there aren't out-of-control demonstrations, but the point that the the guy in Kiwaskum has is, hey, you know, do, do you want to get involved in that situation? And, and I understand that some people are uncomfortable about that. Well, you shouldn't be saying stuff about that. Don't don't you realize, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be talking about bad things that go on Milwaukee. Well, I'm sorry. You've got a homicide rate right now that is completely out of control. If the current trend continues, you're probably going to have to go back to 1991 to have a year where there is as many homicides. You have a at least a political structure which has thus far decided that they are going to align themselves with some of the smallest, loudest, most vocal members of the community over the, in my opinion, the larger community that is concerned about law and order and things of the like. That's just the reality that, that's out there. So you got this guy in Kiwaskum saying, well, okay, if, if there was ever going to be a flashpoint where it wasn't just going to be local protesters, but it was going to be national protesters coming in, it's going to be during the course of that, the week of the Democratic National Convention. So, you know, m- maybe you want to avoid it. Now, I don't care whether Kiwaskum issues a travel proclamation or not telling people not to go, but I don't necessarily think that that's that it's that bad advice because you don't know what you're going to be walking into and you do not know how the police are going to respond. If Al Morales was the police chief now, I, I know that 
you know, he, he would he would respond in in one way. But now that you have the new police chief, now that you have the new acting police chief, you've got a fire and police commission that I, I think probably is not the most public safety oriented. You have members of a common council that have already decided that at least in some members that they want to align again more with the people who are causing disruptions and violence. Um, you've got a district attorney's office that is not aggressively prosecuting people who are engaging in criminal activity. And you have a court system that's pretty much closed down. So you put all that stuff together. I understand why they're issuing the travel warnings. Like I say, if it were me and I had something I absolutely had to do, I had to go to this particular location for something, would I go? Absolutely. But I don't know. Do I want to put myself in the middle of that just next week for the sake of being in the middle of it? I don't know. I think I might wait till a little bit later on. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Story in the local newspaper, which is the least surprising story of the last week. Former Milwaukee police chief Alfonso Morales is seriously considering retiring and now pursuing legal action after being demoted to captain by the Fire and Police Commission, his lawyer said yesterday. Attorney Franklin Gimbel told the newspaper that Morales expects to decide by the end of the week if he will return to the Milwaukee Police Department as a captain, the rank he held prior to being named chief. In the meantime, he has given Gimbel permission to pursue legal action against the city, to which my response, and and, and this is from a recovering lawyer, I, I, I'm not one of these who encourages, you know, it's aggressive and frivolous litigation. My my prediction is the chief is going to the former chief is going to sue the heck out of the city. And at this point in time, the only question is how big a check will you taxpayers have to um, write? Gimbel said he and Morales are considering a range of actions, including suing for reinstatement as chief, probably unlikely, filing a claim for damages. Definitely filing a federal civil rights action or pursuing a judicial review of the Fire and Police Commission's actions for the absolute total denial of due process. Um, Yeah, I I think all that all those different issues is going are going to be on the table. Um, Apparently, if if Chief Morales were to accept the demotion, um, it would be at a reduced salary, which would negatively impact his pension payments. If he does retire, he, he's currently eligible to retire. He's been in the department for, what, going on 30 years. So there'll be a significant pension payment that he's been entitled to. If he goes back to work in the demoted position, it reduces his pension payments, which makes no sense at all. Asked if Morales would consider joining Brunson's command staff. Brunson is the acting police chief. If offered a role, Gimbel presumably tongue firmly planted in cheek, said that wouldn't be a very politically correct move to Brun- for Brunson to make. Yeah, I, I think the idea of the new acting chief who has replaced the, the unfairly fired law and order former police chief wouldn't be the smartest thing for the acting chief who presumably wants the gig full time to bring the guy back and put him on his command staff. The bottom line of all this is it, it's going to be messy. Former Chief Morales is too classy a guy to, I, I don't know, make make huge waves. Uh, but but the reality of this is that there's going to be a nasty lawsuit. 
as I said earlier, I mean, if the first exhibit, if, if I'm the attorney, all I'm doing is I'm playing the, the statement that the mayor made the, the night that he was fired, criticizing the procedures that the out-of-control clown car act that is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission used to, to fire him in the first place. That's exhibit number one, where the mayor's talking about how he's not happy with this and how they violated all these different procedures and things of the like. It, it, it's it's going to be nasty, but the bottom line is the Fire and Police Commission has made its bed, and now it's time to for them to collectively lie in it, along with the members of the Milwaukee Common Council who pushed for the ouster of um, the the Mexican second generation Mexican American police chief. So there's, I, I mean, I'm telling you, every, every time you, uh, again, turn over something, you're, you're going to find something more that just absolutely stinks about this entire process. And when there is an inevitable lawsuit, whatever the different grounds are, the taxpayers, at least in my opinion, better get ready to write a large check. But do not be surprised. I can't see any way in the world that Chief Morales would go back to work as a captain. And I will tell you something, that is a huge loss for the Milwaukee Police Department. It is an Another blow to the morale on that department, and you know when Police Chief Morales, former Chief Morales, retires, don't don't be surprised if there's not a wake of other retirements as well. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The word that is being used to describe this is outrageous, and you know what? I I don't think. That that is an overstatement. Okay, here here's the deal. We we all know with much fanfare a year ago or so it was announced that the Democratic National Convention was going to be held in Milwaukee and, and everybody was all excited about it. Fifty plus thousand people coming to this region over the course of a week. Hotels were going to be filled from Chicago up through Sheboygan. This was going to be the, this huge win for the bars and the restaurants. I mean, seriously, you talk about how the world has changed. I can remember six months ago, we, we were having debates on this program about whether or not they, they should change the state law when the Democratic National Convention was going on to allow bars to stay open till 4 o'clock. Boy, that seems like a long time ago we were having that conversation so that delegates could, could spend their money. But this was going to be a huge windfall for all these different businesses. Well, okay, coronavirus hits, and, and then, you know, all along the thing has been scaled back and scaled back, and, and now it is primarily... A, a virtual convention, but it is still going to be based in, in Milwaukee. And and there will be some news coverage, and there will presumably be some national figures that are here, I mean, national newscasts and stuff, and there will at least be, like, local delegates and things of the like. It, it's going to be just a, a phantom image of what it was supposed to be, but, but still, there, there's going to be something. All right, so Journal Sentinel is reporting. Here's the story. Democratic National Convention participants were asked to pledge to avoid Milwaukee bars and restaurants during the event. Sources confirmed to the newspaper that a pledge was part of a checklist for convention goers aimed at trying to uh, avoid the spread of COVID-19. Protocols previously released by the Democratic National Convention Committee urged participants not to avoid bars and restaurants where social distancing is not possible or not practiced. Okay, fine. However, now participants have been asked to pledge to not go to any bars or restaurants. 
Now, keep in mind, Milwaukee has a very, very intensive series of of rules and permissions with regard to coronavirus. You've got bars that are open, but they're open at at only a fraction of their capacity. You've got restaurants that are open, but open at only a fraction of their capacity. You've got rules that say that you're supposed to be wearing masks outside. So you've got all these things, but apparently participants are asked to pledge not to go to any bars or restaurants. Which brings me to Milwaukee Alderman Robert Bauman, who is one of these guys that is almost always wrong. If you want to find out where you should be on an issue, you find out where Bob Bauman is, you go the other way, chances are you are going to be correct. But but here's what he has to say. I think it's pretty outrageous, actually. And he represents the, the district, including the Wisconsin Center, where the convention is going to be. What more do they want to do to us? They want to saddle us with all these costs. They want to bring hundreds, maybe thousands of protesters down on our head, and then they don't want any attendees eating in Milwaukee. (laughs) He's kind of got a point. Anybody that's coming is now being asked to pledge that they're not going to go to any local bars and restaurants. A spokesperson for the convention committee says, well, ensuring the safety and well-being of our host community and everyone involved with our convention has been our top priority, and we continue to follow the guidance of public health officials and experts. Well, let me stop here. I, I, I don't think the mayor and his his Ph.D. health commissioner are saying don't, don't go out to, to bars and, and restaurants. I don't think. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I agree, and mark the tape on this one, I agree with Alderman Bauman. I think it's outrageous to tell what's left of the convention, and there's not much, that, that we want you to pledge that you are not going to go out and not go to bars and restaurants. I mean, you, you've got to eat somewhere. Is If that's the case, if there's going to be absolutely no spillover and all you're inviting is the cost that you're going to have for when the protesters show up and the added police security that's going to be here, even though in a diminished sort of capacity, and you're actually telling anybody that comes in connection with this, we want you to promise not to go to bars and restaurants. I mean, get, give me a break. I mean, it's the worst case scenario. And candidly... Let me just say this. I I don't think it's unsafe from a COVID-19 perspective to go to the bars and restaurants. Milwaukee has very, very strict rules. I think you could argue that those rules are, are an overreach, but they've got very, very strict rules that are in place. Is it responsible to tell people, all right, you're, you're coming into town, and there's not going to be that many. I understand this, but we want you to promise that you're not going to go out to bars and restaurants. What the heck is that all about? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, what, if you're one of the handful of people who's still coming into town, what what, what are you supposed to do? Uh, go to a grocery store and buy a brunch of bread and some salami and some peanut butter and jelly and eat it in your hotel rooms? Staying out of bars and restaurants? What could that all be about? 855-616-1620. And I guess the, conven- the, per- the question would be, if it's too dangerous... For people that are coming in for the convention, the only handful of them, if it's too dangerous for them to go to bars and restaurants, well, should anybody be going to bars and restaurants in Milwaukee? 855-616-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Now, a number of people are making this point, and it is it is an interesting president. 
vice former vice president Joe Biden, man who wants to be president, of course announces yesterday that he's chosen his running mate, and it's it's no surprise. It, it's um, Kamala Harris, who is the senator from California, former prosecutor. This, in my opinion, it's it's a safe choice. It's a less controversial choice than if he had gone in other directions and things like that. But interestingly, they're they're supposed to make a a joint appearance. I think today at a high school in um, Biden's Delaware hometown, which, which is all very well and good. It does kind of raise the question, though, that if they're making joint appearance. Appearances, why why couldn't they be at the site of the Democratic National Convention, which would be Milwaukee next week? I mean, if it's okay to go out of the basement and you know, bring her in from California or wherever, and, and you're going to have now, it's not going to be, I think, you know, open to a huge amount of people in the public. But if, if you're going to be making joint appearances, why? Why, why couldn't you make a, a joint appearance, again, even if it's in a TV studio set up in a convention center, which is, again, a, a bizarre sort of thing. But the larger story is apparently in a just that it, it is it's kind of like the, the final to heck with you moment that the Democratic National Convention, which got scaled back and scaled back and, and scaled back, leaving this area with some of the costs and pretty much absolutely none of the benefits, decided that they were going to tell the participants, all right, for those of you who are coming here, you have to pledge, you have to pledge that you will not be patronizing bars and restaurants in the Milwaukee area. Forget the fact that even Tom Barrett's health commissioner hasn't closed down bars and restaurants. But yet, that's it. Come, if you do go to Milwaukee, all right, just don't go out, don't go to a bar, don't go to a restaurant. And then the excuse given is that, well, we we want to, you know, we we want to follow, like, different health protocols. Okay, well, there's no health protocol that's been issued that says you don't go to patronize a bar or a restaurant in Milwaukee. They've got all sorts of restrictions that are in place. And some of those restrictions, in my opinion, are so onerous that a lot of people choose not to patronize them. But we're, we don't have convention organizers saying just you've got to promise not to go out. Here's a text, Jeff. It's just as silly as Mayor Lightfoot and the Chicago restrictions. These poor establishments need revenue. Um, you know, a- absolutely. They, 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 that's the, the whole idea. Jeff, no doubt Milwaukee got screwed, but I have no problem with this. Maybe it's because I am not comfortable going to bars and restaurants. And of course, I, I understand that. There are, there are people out there, and you know who you are, who aren't comfortable going out outside. I, I, I get it. I, I don't criticize you for that. I, I'm not there. Now, I, I go out a lot, but at least for the last couple months. I don't know what's going to happen in a month or two. I mean, I pretty much, when I go out to eat, it's pretty much outside dining. Um, I think maybe there's like one time I can think that I ate inside, but it's pretty much outside dining, and we go to a lot of places that have patios. That's the personal choice. I'm... My wife, I think, is more uncomfortable than I would be eating inside a restaurant, but it, but it doesn't matter. So we, we've been doing that. I'm not faulting people for making the decision, okay, you don't feel comfortable, don't go out. But to have, in this case, organized the Democratic National Convention say, don't go out. We want you to make a promise that you're not going to patronize these places. It, it's really, it's the final 
the, the final, I think, blow. And, and there, even in the scaled back thing, I know that there have been some Milwaukee bar owners, some Milwaukee restaurant owners who've been cleaning things and trying to get ready and making sure they're following the protocols for whoever does end up coming into Milwaukee. Now you have convention organizers telling them, you got to promise, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't go out. Don't do any of, of this. Um, Jeff, maybe it's because some of these people are coming from an out of state, not being quarantined, and they don't want to be traced back to their home state. Well, okay. I mean, that, I guess that, that's an issue, but you're, you're not supposed to, it doesn't matter whether you went to a bar or restaurant. I mean, the Chicago restriction says if you came into Wisconsin and you spent 24 hours here, you're supposed to, you're supposed to lock yourself up for two weeks. Now, of course, as I've said before, Given all the stuff that is going on in Chicago, why anybody in their right mind would want to travel to Chicago um, just between COVID-19 and between the violence and the looting and just all the other stuff going on. I think that you need you um, you need yourself. You know, you need to have your head examined yourself. Jeff, um, let's see. They're even removing. I mean. There's a number of texts about this, but you get you get the idea. It's like, at what point in time do you say, all right, we, we need to look out for these businesses and we, we need to help them out, at least in some way. And at this point in time, it apparently you have the Democratic National Committee, which isn't just the convention committee, which isn't just going to help out the businesses. Now they're doing everything they actively can to hurt them among the few people that are still coming to town. Yep, mark the tape. I agree with Bob Bauman. Um, it really is pretty outrageous. <laughs> this is the bottom line. You're, you've got the cost of the convention. You've got hundreds, maybe thousands of protesters that are going to be descending here, and we're telling attendees, don't eat in Milwaukee. Huh, with friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> Well, how do you think this is going to work out? There have been a couple cities that have just completely lost control of public safety matters. Portland is the worst example of that. Uh, Chicago is just an example of a disaster where you have police who've been attacked on a regular basis and very, very little response from the prosecutors, almost no support from City Hall, and it, it predictably resulted in all the violence that you had in Chicago and the looting that is now being defended by, for example, like the, the Chicago Black Lives Matter movement. You have people, and I sent out a tweet about this yesterday, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 talking about how the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement spokesman defending and justifying the, the looting, saying, well, that this is just what what happens you know people people breaking into those stores this is just their own form of kind of self-help reparations all right this this is we are now reaping what what's been sowed over the course of the last few weeks one of the major urban cities in this country that was completely and totally out of control was seattle at the behest of the mayor with the i think support of members of the common council out there seattle let people occupy like nine city blocks in downtown Seattle. They, they essentially threw the police out. And then what happened is it was kind of like escape from New York. You had these businesses that were looted, these businesses that were set fire. You had all the, this criminal activity. And, and the police essentially were treated as an occupying force. They weren't allowed to go back. It was just a complete and total nightmare until finally Seattle, e- even the mayor out there, said enough is enough. Well, what what happened is rather than learning that you need to control the, the cities, 
what happened is Seattle decided, let's go the other extreme. And so they decided to go ahead with their plan to start defunding the, the police. And apparently what they did is they passed these rules saying um, police pay cuts to a number of members of the police department, including the police chief, who was, you know, kind of the, the face of a lot of this, and and she was very, very publicly, she was on TV saying, I, I don't agree with, with any of this a, at all. So her pay was cut. They cut the budget of the police department such that about 100 police officers were going to have to either be let go or if they had retired, those jobs not replaced. So this was just the start of defunding the police. And, and yesterday, the, the Seattle police chief who argued against this, um, her name is Carmen Best, and you perhaps have seen her on the national TV shows as this was all going on. She just said, fine, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to retire. Now, you've seen this. This is the ongoing pattern that's happening. You saw it in Milwaukee, where the out-of-control clown car act that is the Fire and Police Commission demoted, essentially firing, former Chief Morales because he was at least semi-tough on crime and trying to control the streets. The Seattle police chief, you had the elected officials decide that they're going to punish her in the department um, because, I don't know, she didn't want to allow anarchists and terrorists to occupy nine blocks of the city. The mayor, the uh, police chief in Portland, he stepped down about uh, several weeks ago after, again, not having the support of the mayor, not having the support of the prosecutors, not having the support of the Common Council when it came to efforts to try to rein in all the out-of-control protesters. This is what is going on in, in this country right now. And, and I think it's a really, really bad and a dangerous thing because what you're starting to see is is people, the, we are giving in collectively. You have You have politicians who have decided that at least short term, it is in their interest to align with with the people who are, I don't know, really trying to destroy society, the, the violence, the looters, the rioters, the anarchists. And for whatever reason, you have people that are in elected officials that have figured that their careers are better suited by, again, not condemning this behavior, by allowing this stuff to go on, by continuing to go into foolish things like let's cut the number of police officers that we have at a time where urban homicides are at like an all-time high. So you've got all this stuff going on. That is the philosophy. And you have more and more cops starting at the top who are simply saying, okay, we're, we're done. This, If you think you can do better, if you think by giving in to the mob is the way to go, find Find, find somebody else to do it, but it's not going to be me. So the latest news is Police Chief Carmen Best, who um, I think by all accounts is a really, really good quality law enforcement police officer who also happens to be a black female to the extent that that matters to anybody. She just said, enough is enough. I'm gone. When we come back with Southwest right or wrong, and all you folks who think that people should be wearing masks everywhere, want you to listen to this story. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Eric, here, here's an interesting piece of trivia. Do you ever see the movie The Dirty Dozen? Oh, yes. Uh, I've seen it like on AMC. Well, just... Right, I mean, it, very, very, 1967, yep, it yep, was yep. a war movie. Lee Marvin starred in it, but it had Ernest Borgnine and Charles Bronson and Jim Brown and mm-hmm. George Kennedy and, and Telly Savalas. And, and the plot of it was, 
that um, there's this kind of like a World War Two prior to, uh, World War Two, and it's sort of like this sort of suicide mission. And what they do is they recruit a bunch of people, a bunch of prisoners who have like who've been sentenced to death. These are military people, and they give them a chance. Hey, you you come on this mission and you survive, and we'll you know we'll commute your sentence sure, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was a more very very successful. Um, and actually, one of the first movies, I I I, I went. I was. I was a young man. I, I went with a girl. I went Ooh, on a date. A date. I went on a date to the Dirty Dozen. Yep, absolutely. That, <laughs> yeah, which that perhaps, gets you in the mood. Which perhaps said, well, I mean, I, I was very young at the time. So I, but it was, it's, I, I remember her name was Pam Duber. I remember this distinctly, you know, long, long time ago, you know. Um, so we went to the, we went to see the Dirty Dozen as, as kids. And so, but I, I bring this up because Trini Lopez, you know, did you see that he died? Just he, passed away. Yeah. Right. He pa- passed away. He was, um, most famous, very, very successful singer um like uh latin music and american folk his, his big records were if i had a hammer and and lemon tree and things like that but he was a very successful singer in the the 50s and, and the 60s when well, he the, the interesting dirty dozen story is that he was cast in that movie he's in mm. the movie the, the dirty dozen and like like in the first half of the movie they're kind of like setting up his character to have a bigger role and then the second half of the movie is when they get parachute shot, parachute dropped, you know, behind enemy lines and stuff. And um, he's just dead. He died. His character dies. It's like in the parachute drop, they they like they like find the, the body in the tree. And yeah. It's like boom, it, it's just all over. Well, the backstory on this was that he was supposed to have a much larger part in the movie. But what happened is the the production was getting delayed a little bit, and he wanted to leave the movie set to go like do a couple concerts okay. and stuff. And the producer said, "No, we we don't want you to to leave." And he said, "Well, to heck with that. I'm I'm going to go. I'll come back." And so he left, and then they just killed, <laughs> killed off the character. <laughs> right? It was just it was like, okay, no, don't bother, don't bother coming back. We're and good. So, We're yeah, good. right. So he, he had he had a much large. It would have been a much larger part, but it was one of those. We told Trini not to leave. He left. Okay. Okay, what are we going to do? All right, where does he, he dies? You know, he, he dies in Act One instead of Act Three or whatever. So it's just kind of like that. That's always like the little the, the Trini Lopez thing. So if you're if you're ever watching the movie Dirty Dozen and you you recognize that that character, you go, God, why did why did he just die all of a sudden? It's because well, he, yeah, he, he had decided other things to do. <laughs> exactly he had other things to do, and the movie makers decided, okay, well, they, yeah. we, they're they're all going to die, or most of them are going to die anyways. What the heck? We'll just have him die, you know, thirty minutes earlier. <laughs> So, hmm. interesting little trivia. That's that's what I'm here for to share that with you. All right. Matter of fact, I just sent out a a tweet, and uh, maybe this is going to be a little bit of a controversial one. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Now, here's the deal. the The story this morning has been that the the new acting police chief, with the blessing of the mayor and members of the common council, is announcing this new initiative. That, that they're going to have to improve police community relations and that they want feedback from the, the general public on, you know, what can we do to improve these relations and things of the like. I have a question which is kind of rhetorical, which make and I, I'm serious. I wonder if this is a sincere operation. Here's what I ask in, in the, the tweet I just sent out. The new Milwaukee police chief says he wants community feedback on policing issues. Fine. Here's my question, though. What happens if the feedback that they receive from the community says that the vast majority of the community wants more aggressive policing, more cops on the streets, 
and less pandering to mobs. I mean, so what what if that feedback says, you know, no, we're we're common council, we're we're not going down this route. We don't want you cutting the police budget. We want more cops on the street. We want to stop messing around with these people that are committing crimes and are not being prosecuted. We want more aggressive policing. I, I'm just asking this. I don't know what the feedback's gonna be, but it'll be interesting to see if the silent majority of people who live in the city of Milwaukee, who I think have kind of had enough is enough when it comes to I mean, some of the crime problems, that this is an opportunity. I'm just going to be curious to see if those people do, in fact, rise up and respond and say, you know what, we, we don't want to defund the police. You know, we we don't want to figure out ways to, when people are looting stores on 3rd Street, you know, we, we don't want to figure out ways to reason with people. We want them, we want the crowd dispersed. And if the crowd isn't dispersed after you've used tear gas, we want people arrested. I'm just saying... If that feedback is more aggressive policing, more cops on the streets, and less pandering to the mobs, what do, do they? Re- do you think city leaders really want to hear that? I, I'm not sure that's the answer that they they want. But I I raise that anyways. Okay, let us switch gears. Southwest Airlines, and by the way, I love Southwest Airlines. Took me took me a couple trips to get used to the you know the the boarding thing that they do with no assigned seats and stuff. But I love Southwest. I I just Southwest is my airline of choice when I fly out of here. It's mostly Southwest. They go to most of the places I go to, and if it's not Southwest, it's Delta. But I I love Southwest Airlines. So this is not necessarily a knock on Southwest. It is how do you deal with situations in the COVID nineteen era. Southwest Airlines, and keep in mind, this is a tough time for airlines because people aren't flying. That, that's just, business travel, okay, that, that's just not happening. I mean, it's, I understand some people still fly to places on business, but in general, it, it's all this remote stuff, you know, places aren't open. You can't have people, we can't have people coming into our buildings. There's only a limited number of people that can come into our building. We can't have vendors coming in or things like that. It's just not how it operates anymore. So you've lost all the business travel. The airlines have also lost a lot of leisure travel because people just aren't flying. It's concerns about COVID-19. And it's also the fact that a lot of places that you go really just aren't open or the experience isn't the same. You know, yes, I you know, Disneyland is closed down in California. Disney World is open, but it's a shadow of itself. So people just aren't traveling. So it's a tough time for airlines. Airlines are trying to get a handle on on the pandemic. And one of the things that they are trying their best is to convince people that air travel is safe. And so they have all sorts of things that they are doing to try to assure that air travel is safe. Southwest has a rule. The rule says that, and they're very clear about this, all passengers over age two must have proper face coverings while traveling. There, there's you got to wear a mask. Any any person over the age two has to has to wear a proper face covering. There is, by the way, Southwest has no exception for medical reasons. And they're, they're, they're clear about that. I mean, everybody must have a proper face covering. We, they say we point this out online in the booking, pre-trip email, during the check-in process. And again, there, there's no exception for medical requirements at all. Some places do, but, but they, they don't. It is a mandatory 
mandatory face mask policy with no medical exemptions to the rule. All right? Well, what happens is, Texas woman, you know, shows up on on Monday. Um, She's got a Southwest flight from Midland, Texas to to Houston. Okay, she's got a, um, she's with her family. She has a one-year-old daughter. One-year-old daughter doesn't have, the infant doesn't have to wear a mask. It's not two. She's got a three-year-old son who is autistic. And the the boy, the three-year-old, refuses to wear a, a mask. She says her son has a sensory processing disorder, does not like to have his face touched. She's got a note from the boy's doctor about his condition. So they're on the plane. He's, they're trying to get him to wear the mask. He's refusing. He's throwing a fit. He's screaming, no, no, no. Um, and, and the woman who, I mean, she's at wit's end. She says, look, it's, it's, she says, this mask just isn't going to work on my three-year-old son. He's not going to wear it. At which point in time, Southwest, now this is all happening when they get on the airplane in Midland, the, the pilot, they, I think they had taxied out onto the runway, they, they go back and the, the lady and the family is taken off, off the plane. They're, they're told they have to leave the plane. They're, they're going to get a full refund for their flight, but, but they didn't fly. She said, um, you know, look, here, here's, you know, she said, I, I think there should be a medical exception for this. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the airlines are under all sorts of pressure. The airlines are told, you know, you, you've got to assure a safe environment. People believe that, you know, wearing the masks on the planes, that makes it a safer sort of situation. That's fine. So Southwest says everybody's got to wear masks. No exceptions, no medical exceptions. We tell people that so they know up front if they're unable or unwilling or whatever to wear the mask, they, they just know, don't fly with us, right? So that's that's the rule. The rule is clear. So you have a situation, you have the three-year-old who's autistic. I think everybody can understand that. He's not putting that mask on, so Southwest says, sorry, you're not able to fly with us. Is Southwest in the wrong? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss. But I do want your input on this. Right for everybody that says we, we've got to have the mask rules, we've got to have the mandatory mask rules. Southwest has a mandatory mask rule, and they are enforcing it. In this case, three-year-old autistic boy. Should they have let the child fly without wearing the mask? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Southwest has a very very clear rule, and people are telling me that other airlines have have a similar rule. If you're on the plane, you've got to wear a mask. There are no medical exceptions. They they make it very very clear about that. So, lady gets on a plane Monday. She's got a three year old child who's autistic. She's got a letter from the the doctor saying, okay, the, a mask is going to be an issue here. He doesn't like to be touched. The kid has a fit. And isn't going to wear the mask. So Southwest takes, removes them from the plane, gives them a, a refund. All right, there's no medical exception, exemption for this. All right, is Southwest in the wrong here? 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gianni in Montello. Hi, what do you think? 
Jeff, of course Southwest is in the wrong here, and there must be medical exceptions for for, for the, the, the very fractional number of people that um, are, are either have a medical condition or they're autistic or whatever. I've worked with autistic children, mm-hmm. and, and you need to cut them a lot of slack. And uh, what is going on with, with this company? I, I'm glad you brought it up because I... I, I don't think I want to want to fly this airlines if they're going to uh, discriminate like that. Well, but at the and, same and time, way, on the flip side, Gianni, is they, they make it very clear. They, they make it very clear. They say, look, we th- this is b- because we're concerned with safety. There are no medical exemptions, and, and they make it they make it clear. There's that this it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your condition is. If you can't wear a mask, we're sorry, you can't fly on Southwest. I mean, it, do they ha- do they not have a right to do that? Oh, I, I think they do. I think they do, Jeff. But again, there, there's no one size solution that fits 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 every problem. So, uh, I mean, come on, uh, you have to you accommodate your customers, your paying customers. And I, I just wonder how long the flight was. Well, it's small. And, it's Midland. To, I, I, I mean, mean, no, thanks for calling. Okay, it's, it's Midland to Houston. I mean, it's not a lengthy call, but I mean, I think I. I I'm putting myself in the, the position of Southwest now. Southwest is like, look, we're we're getting all this heat because you know we didn't require people to wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. And if the purpose behind making people wear masks is that we're, we're trying to prevent the spread of, of COVID nineteen, it doesn't make any difference what the person's disability is; they they can still be a, a carrier. Now, I, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. And it doesn't matter whether they're three year old with a three year old with an autism or a thirty year old with autism or a seventy five year old with cancer or whatever. Their position is simply, you know, we don't want to get in a position of trying to decide and debate whether or not this medical exemption is is valid or not. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And see, see, here's here's the deal, and this is kind of how I look at this. The Southwest policy is clear. It's kind of been forced on them by public pressure and by legislative recommendations. And and this is we are now reaping what we've we've sowed. Do I think this policy should allow exemptions? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I do. But I understand they're damned if they do and they're damned if they they don't, because this is a situation where they're being told from a public health perspective, people have to wear masks on planes. I don't want to argue whether that makes sense or not. Don't want to argue whether that's an overreaction. That's that's the rule. It's not a surprise. So I guess and it's it's a tough thing. But while we're going through this, if the rule is. You got to wear a mask to fly, and you know that the person can't wear the mask. Maybe that means that you got to take a train, or you got to drive, or whatever. All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, it's a slippery slope. If they make one exception, they'd they'd have to make more. Um, Jeff, slightly different view. Can Uber require masks? Sure, they can. Can a city bus line require masks? Um, sure, they can. Jeff, Southwest is not in the wrong. She can fly a different airline or stay home. I'm not sure she's able to fly a different airline because I think a lot of airlines have the same policy. Jeff, I believe the airline is right. People need to comply or find a different means of travel um so jeff so they have a right to discriminate with regard to medical conditions and wearing a mask will they be able to now discriminate against physically disabled people because it's challenging to deal with their needs well okay let me, that, that's what the person says okay well is this 
is where do you balance this discrimination? I mean, it, yes, I, they're not discriminating, but they're saying where everybody has to to do this. They are not making exemptions. Now, again, I'm not a guy who's all in on all these mask requirements, but if that's what we're told we need to do for public safety, and you know, the only way we're going to get people back flying on airplanes is to put them on. Uh, again, to have all these people wearing masks, and, and that's the rule, don't the airlines have a right and a responsibility to do it? Are we not reaping what we have sowed? Second time I've used that analogy, because now we're, we're told everybody's got to wear the masks, specifically on the airlines, and so the airplanes are saying, okay, this this is our rule. We're telling people, yeah, this is what's going to be going on for the foreseeable future, and yes, that means that there are some people, including in this case, unfortunately, the three-year-old who is autistic, that you know, you're not going to be allowed to take him on a plane until... We get past this pandemic. 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to continue this back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Touched a nerve with that topic. And look, I am not arguing that if I were the person in charge of Southwest Airlines that I would have a, a similar policy. I think you can make a strong case that I don't know, maybe requiring people three and up to wear masks is on airplanes is kind of an unreasonable expectation, right? You can also, I, I think, argue that maybe there should be medical exceptions, although a number of people are pointing out that, you know, COVID, just, just because you're three years old and autistic doesn't mean that you can't be a carrier for COVID. All right, that, that's, that, that's all valid as well. If I were the king, I would look at you know maybe making some exceptions for medical stuff, and again, I, I'm not sure at what age you really need to to put in this mask requirement. But I'm not the king. Southwest is obviously very concerned. They have a very clear policy, and most of the other airlines are like that as well. They're saying, okay, during the course of this pandemic, if you're going to fly on our planes, no exceptions. You've got to wear masks if you're above one years old. Okay, that that is what their rule is. It is a rule that is clearly conveyed to everyone, and I, I think it's tough to criticize them for doing this simply because, again, the, the general public is so, at this point in time, pro-mask. We believe that you know, masks are going to be the solution and the way out of this pandemic. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but that's what the rule is. The rule is disclosed, and I, I think... You know, in this particular case, I understand why the mom is upset. Believe me, I I get it. You know, she ended up having to drive from Midland, Texas to Houston. I understand that that was an inconvenience. I understand it was probably an awkward and embarrassing situation. And I understand to an extent it's unfair. Don't get me wrong. I under I get, you know, how difficult it must be to be a parent of uh, of a three year old autistic kid. And to some extent, this makes it worse. I, I understand that. But there's a lot of stuff about COVID-19 and the ongoing pandemic and our response to it. There's a lot of stuff that, that's unfair in, in the world right now. And I don't think Southwest is the bad guy here. I, I guess I, I, I don't. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The 2020 Wisconsin State Fair might be canceled. I really This would have been our second week at the fair. Yeah, this would have been, okay, this is Wednesday, so we would just be starting kind of the, the, the end. We're, we're kind of over the hump. I missed the State Fair. Hopefully we're able to do it next year. The 2020 Wisconsin State Fair may be canceled, but that doesn't mean we can't commemorate 
sigh what might have been. Tune into Wisconsin's Morning News as they relive the sights and sounds that make the State Fair what it is. You'll also have a chance to win tickets for next year's event. It's the Wisconsin State Fair Necessities from WTMJ. I don't think they need to call in the feds. I think local government needs to do its job, but I am willing to discuss. In Wauwatosin, we've talked about this for the last couple days, anarchy reigns supreme. The mayor, his name is Dennis McBride, members of the Common Council and members of the Fire and Police Commission have essentially tied the hands of the Wauwatosa Police Department when dealing with a small but very vocal group of protesters. We've talked about this before. The issue, of course, is that there's a a police officer who has been involved in three fatal shootings in the last five years. His name is Joseph Mensa. He's been cleared of any wrongdoing in the first two. The third that happened in February occurred after a 17-year-old with a stolen handgun, at least according to the police, fired at Mensa as Mensa was on the scene after being called by security people because there were a bunch of out-of-control folks at Mayfair Mall. Right, The the family of the 17-year-old and some of the protesters maintain that there was never a stolen gun and there weren't shots fired. Wauwatosa police say that's just not what happened. But the matter remains under investigation. It is a fair comment to say it's been in February. It is ridiculous that there's not some some resolution of this by August. In any event, members of the community have turned on Mensa. You have a very liberal member of the Common Council, City Council, who's demanded that he be fired. The mayor has said, we we need to get rid of this guy. Um, The Fire and Police Commission has suspended him with pay, all while the investigation still has not been wrapped up and most people familiar with the investigation believe that it's going to find that the guy did nothing wrong right the mob doesn't care about that there has been a mob of people that have over the course of the last few weeks occupied mayfair mall on multiple occasions forcing it to close down that is a very bad thing for mayfair mall the mob has been allowed to do that There's been really no intervention. The mob has gone to the restaurant, the Cheesecake Factory, which is in the perimeter of Mayfair. They've shut that down on multiple occasions. They've been allowed to do it. Last weekend, Saturday night, the mob, armed with toilet paper and silly string, etc., showed up at the residence of this police officer. It's actually his his girlfriend's residence, but he's there, and, and vandalized the house. I mean, trespassed through toilet paper all over. It's just, it's a horrible story. We've talked about it the last couple of days. State Representative David Bowen apparently was on the scene. You know, he, he was he was on the scene. Yet some of these protest organizers who've been in various trouble with the law themselves, they're on Facebook encouraging people to convoy over and let's commit this vandalism. What happened was somebody brought a shotgun, a loaded shotgun to this quote-unquote peaceful protest and... The ended up shooting through the the kitchen door of of the residence where this police officer was at. The state representative who was on the scene while the place was being vandalized says, well, I didn't see this, but I I I I I know that the the protesters didn't do this. I I think Officer Mensa went out, grabbed the shotgun, released the safety and shot through his own kitchen door. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Right. Good, fine with that. But anyhow, you, you have, again, this out-of-control behavior that has gone on essentially because the police department has been directed, let's not confront 
the, the protesters. Well, into this wades state U.S. Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner, who's retiring at the end of this year. Sensenbrenner yesterday says he would bring federal agents to a city teetering on a crisis. Actions like this and the breakdown of law and order will spread fear and force citizens of Wauwatosa to reconsider their choice to reside there. He said, yeah, I, I think you know, if federal agents would come there, I think they would bring peace and tranquility back to the community. The very, very liberal mayor of Wauwatosa, whose inaction has led in part to the situation that you have there, says, please inform Representative Sensenbrenner, we do not need federal intervention in Wauwatosa. We can manage without it, and federal intervention would only exacerbate the tensions in our city. All right, our number That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think they need federal agents in Wauwatosa. What I think is that they need elected leaders to step up to take the, figuratively speaking, to take the restraints off the police and allow them to do their job. In other words, when you have people that show up with the intention of vandalizing a private residence in a neighborhood, they need to be going out and they need to be making arrests. When you have a group of people who is storming through a major shopping center and who are intent on trying to disrupt it, disturbing the peace and close it down, what they need to do is they need to let the local police show up, call for assistance from some neighboring departments if they need it, and start arresting the people that are doing it. The problem in Wauwatosa isn't that there's not enough police. The problem in Wauwatosa is that the police have been hamstrung by officials and authorities who do not want to confront the mob. And it's a relatively small mob, like like I say. But I believe if you started if we started making arrests back when they first closed Mayfair down and when they first started engaging in criminal behavior, yes, criminal behavior, or ordinance violations or disturbing the peace or whatever, if we started making arrests back then, the protesters would not have been as emboldened to show up with the idea, hey, this is fun, we're going to show up, we're going to vandalize this home in a neighborhood, we're going to disturb the peace, and some people apparently feel so emboldened that they show up with loaded weapons. Unless the mayor gets his act together, unless the common council gets its act together, unless the fire and police commission get their act together, things are going to get worse. I don't think you need federal troops. I just think you need to let the let the local authorities do their job, and that means starting to arrest people when they show up out there to try to vandalize houses. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You bring the feds in, then that becomes the issue. Just let the police do their job, direct them to do their job, make arrests, and then hopefully the district attorney in Milwaukee County will do his job. Now, I understand that's a big ask, but just let them do their job. Isn't that the solution for this? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Tim and Fredonia. Hi, Tim. Good. Good afternoon. Yes, Just sir. A couple of quick things. These elected officials, police officers, they're all on when they're sworn in. They're up. You know, they're sworn in to uphold the constitutional rights of their constituents, their residents, whoever it may be. Okay. And if they're not doing that, Jeff, and how much more carnage do we have to have 
because these guys aren't representatives in Wauwatosa. They're lunatics. Okay, let's just flat out say it. They're lunatics. How much more carnage do we have? Does it take Mensa getting killed mm-hmm. before we do something, Jeff? Or does it take um, does it take Mayfair Mall to be started on fire or businesses on North Avenue or wherever it is? What does it take, Jeff, before everybody's life or lots of other people's lives gets ruined before we send in the heavy artillery to clean up this abortion? I'm sorry for the lack of a better term, but well, that's it. Well, that's Tim, I mean, here's the thing. But here's where I agree with you to an extent, and I disagree with you. I agree with you that unless authorities in Wauwatosa get control of this, somebody's going to die. That that That's just it. Businesses will be burned. You have a mob... Um, that has been essentially allowed to run roughshod over the interests of law-abiding, tax-paying citizens in the community of Wauwatosa, whether it's shutting down Mayfair Mall or the Cheesecake Factory or you know, going out to the residents of private citizens' homes, and, and then the vandalism that occurred on Saturday night. So I, I agree with you that the mob has been patri- – and it's not really that large a number of people. I mean, you're, you were talking about 50 or 60 people. It's not like you're dealing with thousands of people. That's my point. You don't need, I don't think, to call in the National Guard to, to deal with this. I think what you need to do is you need to allow the police to do their job. And the mayor needs to recognize that his city is out of control. You have members of the common, the city council who've decided that it's in their interest to side with the small, out-of-control mob because, well, I, I don't know, I'm we're, un, we're unhappy with some of the social justice issues. Well, that's fine. I, I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with people going out to private residences with the intent to vandalize those residences, and I especially have problems with people bringing loaded weapons to to those protests, all right? Somebody is, in fact, going to die. My only point with all this, Tim, is I, I don't think it's it's not like you've got thousands of people that are doing this. You, you've got dozens of people that are doing this. I believe the Wauwatosa Police Department has the ability to control this. And, and all they need is, again, you need the support of the mayor. You need the support of elected officials to say, okay, go out. If people are breaking the law, just arrest them. It, it, it's that simple. Then, of course, you want to look to the district attorney's office and say, we expect you to prosecute them. That, I admit it, that's a big ask. But I don't think you need to bring in, you know, federal troops to, to do that. I, my guess is the Wauwatosa Police Department has enough people to keep this under control. They could call some area at some other agencies. They could come in and, and do this. Now, the problem is you've got the mayor, you've got elected officials. They don't want to, they don't want to get on the wrong side of this mob because then maybe they'll show up at their house. They don't want to antagonize the mob, so they just let them go through this. I mean, here's the other thing that's going to happen. And, and, and I hope officials are making plans for this sooner or later. The district attorney in Milwaukee County, John Chisholm, is going to complete an investigation that should have candidly taken a couple weeks, and now it's taken over six months. The smart money says that based on the facts and the law, they're going to clear Officer Mensa in, in this February shooting. Right? That, that's, that's what the smart money says. Once that happens, you know that there will be people – I mean, you saw – 
the behavior the other day against Officer Mensa. You know that what's going to happen is there's going to be people who will then, again, take to the streets to express, assuming that that scenario is correct, they will take to the streets to protest the clearing of the shooting. You know, Wauwatosa better be ready to figure out how they're going to deal with that because all they've done so far is embolden the small group of, of people. And you really, I think, are going to have an issue once once that person is cleared, if in fact they are cleared. Let's talk to Ken in Wauwatosa. Ken, your neck of the woods. Yeah, um, I've, been, I've been listening to this now for a few weeks, and um, it seems to me that uh, the, uh, first of all, the police officer, he was at his girlfriend's house. Yes. So it wasn't at his house. Well, it's where he lived, yeah. Second of all, he came out with his dog, and then he came out, with pepper spray. Then he was arguing with somebody. Why didn't he stay in the house? So you wait a second. You, you, you think the police officer? You think the police officer is wrong? Did you have you seen that? Have you seen the videos of what was going on that night with the people jumping around and throwing toilet paper and screaming and yelling? Have you seen those videos? Yeah, I saw the I saw the I saw the last video, and you couldn't even see anything. Because the guy was so far away and he was running after him. Okay. Have you seen? Have you seen the right? Have you seen the video of all the people outside that house throwing toilet paper into the trees and all that? Have you seen that or no? Yeah, I saw it. Okay, that doesn't bother you. Yesterday. Okay, that does that not bother you? Do you think people should be able to vandalize other people's homes? Um, Well, I just said he shouldn't have come out of the house. Okay. Okay. Well. he should never came out of house. Okay. Well, I, I do. You, all right. Ken, you know, if this and, was, and if the this mayor, was, ha- the, the, mayor is, yeah. the mayor is a new mayor. Yep. And he's, he's been, a, he's been an alderman and he, and he, and he, and he, and he quit the alderman job. He ran for something else. He didn't make it. Then he ran for mayor again. I don't like the mayor, but I know channel 12 did talk to him a little bit and they said, well, why do you want to get rid of him? And he said, because there's never been a police, one okay. single police officer anywhere who has shot and, and, three people and in he's a row. R- and Ken, anywhere. I'm going to stop you there because he's wrong on that. That that I, I don't want to turn this into a I, I don't want to turn this into a debate about Officer Mensa. McBride is wrong, by the way, when when he says that that that's just factually untrue. But I mean, again, there, there's an investigation going on, and if it determined that that he's in the wrong about this, that that's fine. My point is, and I guess for anybody that lives in Wauwatosa, I, I would think that you would you would want. A response. I guess my concern would be if, if you were a homeowner there and all of a sudden you get a, an unruly mob of 50 to 60 people that show up outside your house, they are there with the intention of vandalizing that your house. They're throwing the toilet paper and they're doing all this stuff that's there. I would think that you would want the police to respond and to make the vandals stop. Whether or not the vandals are armed or not, I would think you would want them to stop. I would think the majority of people in Wauwatosa would want them to stop. Now, maybe, again, maybe there's people out there that want to side with the mob. Okay, that, that, that's fine. If that's what you want for your community, good. Okay, you, you can choose that. But my guess is the vast majority of people in Wauwatosa, that, that's not what they want. They don't want Wauwatosa to become downtown Chicago that got looted over, over the weekend. They want, 
They want law and order, and they don't want people showing up at other people's houses with loaded shotguns. Again, Wauwatosa police are going to come out with a statement on this, but trust me on this one, Ken. If you're going to be on the side of the mob, I think you're on the wrong side of history in this one. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, Melissa, I know I just asked you this. Mm-hmm. Help me with Ms. Harris's first name. So it is Kamala. Like Kamala. Kama and then La. Kamala. Kamala, right? yeah. I, and it, you know, it, Don't it, say it the other way. It'll mess you up because right. then you'll be thinking about Kamala. it. Kamala. Well, I, yeah, it's, Kamala. I, I, I've, I've had... Pro- I mean... There, there, there are some words in the English language. There, you know, the word I ever since I first learned how to read, a word I have had a problem with mm-hmm. is chameleon. Oh no, yeah. Well, and it, it's and I'll, I'll tell you, in in I, I grew up, I learned to read with comic books and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the er, in Spider Man, one of the early opponents was a spider-man was a was a villain called the chameleon and I, I'm, I'm a kid yeah and and it chameleon is c-h-a-m okay and so you got that h in there and whenever ever my entire life the when cha? i see that word yeah. i want to say Shyamalan. oh no and i but i i, <laughs> yeah. I, I, no. I mean I, but I, I mean i know it's chameleon the h is silent sure. and there are there are words like that there's not a lot but there but it's just i struggle with that word and it's and and i Kamala Harris. It's Kamala going to be Harris, one yeah. of them, and it's not because I, I, there, there's. I was pronouncing the name in another way a while back when she was running for office, and somebody said, "Oh, you're just trying to insult her." No, I'm. I'm really not. It's yeah. just there, well, there's just words that we all struggle with. It's interesting as a broadcaster. You and I both know that there are words that are going to trip you up. So right. a lot of times in the news, there's one or two words that I see it coming, and I'm like, I know it's not going to come out right. So I try to. Change the word. Change the oh, word yeah. to I look in the thesaurus. What other word can I use besides this particular word? Because I know I can't say it correctly, or I'm going to stumble over it. Well, so, or, yeah. or alternatively, especially around here, there will be. And I know you from time to time mm-hmm. off the air ask me. But there'll, there'll be people who, as somebody who is from your perspective, relatively new to the area. Correct. I mean, you know, it, it'll be okay. How what what's how do you pronounce this person's name? You know, and and again, it's it's one of those things that it's. It's not because people are trying to be intentional or whatever. It's just simply because, okay, there's a couple different pronunciations. I, I don't know how you pronounce that. And then there's just some words that you, I mean, one of the standing jokes is always, you know, when when, the, when new people come in who are, are from not from Wisconsin, it's like, okay, we're not going to tell them how to pronounce Oconomowoc. <laughs> or we're Shano. Not, right, or, or, or Mosquito, or, you yeah. know, all, all those different types of things. So Kamala. Kamala, okay. yes. All right. So I, I'm, Good job. I'm, I'm going to wrestle with this. And again, it's, I'm, I look at this text. You're is trying to diss her. No, I'm no. not trying to diss you know, her. It's and just it's, a- in, in newscasts, sometimes I have to phonetically, like, comma and then dash la, like, just to make sure I get it correct. And that's, like, the phonetic pronunciation, but... Right, yeah. right. Okay, now people are texting in with words that they have trouble yeah, with. No. Rendezvous. Yeah, rendezvous. rendezvous um, yeah. Uh, you know what's funny? I can't remember. the. Uh, there's two rendezvous, words out there. So you think, you think that would be rendezvous, rendezvous. But, but it's not. Mon- right, yeah. Rendezvous. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I can't think of them, but believe me, if they come up in a script, chameleon. I'm going to remember. I, I, I freely acknowledge it's, it's chameleon, and that's been since I was five or six years old. So it looks it's like, like, like Shamalot. I see it, and to yeah. this day, I see that. I can remember going to my, my parents, because, I mean, I, I was a voracious reader. I've always been, and that really helped me. It, it, I mean, reading all these comic books and yeah. stuff really helped me improve my vocabulary and stuff, and it was great, but it was just like... 
I, I'd say, how do you pronounce this? And they'd say, it's chameleon. And I'd say, but there's an H there. Yeah. They'd say, we know, Jeff, but it's, <laughs> trust us, it's chameleon. So I've, I've always struggled with, um, that. Okay. Here's a text. When I was in high school, I did sports on radio. I struggled with Martina Nervatolova. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. You get those, those different names that are out there. In any event, Kamala. Kamala. Kamala, 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 Kamala yes. Harris. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. I want to talk about Ms. Harris. I want to talk about Senator Harris. I and I'm I'm willing to debate this, and I'm willing to discuss it, and I want your input on this. But actually, I think by Joe Biden choosing her to be his vice presidential candidate, it was about as good a choice as he could have made. Now, now this. This isn't saying I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, and I'm not asking you whether you plan on voting for Joe Biden or not, but I, I want to look at, at the politics of his decision. And, and I think on a lot of different fronts, this is, again, it, it's an A as far as a decision. Now, hear me out. I'll, I'll, I will explain. And again, I'm not asking you, do you, you think that this is, you know, I'm not asking you whether, oh, this is going to make me vote for Joe Biden or, or not. I'm just saying as far as the, the universe of his choices, I think choosing Senator Harris was about as good a choice as he could have made. Here, here, here's why. First of all, I mean, she, she's feisty. You know, she'll, she will not be intimidated. You saw that in, you, you saw that in the debates. Secondly, she's got experience as a prosecutor. She's not, you're not going to be able to paint her. And I know some of the stuff that's coming out of the, the Republicans initially is that she's the most liberal senator in the country. She's not. I mean, she's, as far as the modern-day Democratic Party goes, she is relatively moderate, relatively moderate. She's not Elizabeth Warren. She's got a law-and-order sort of background. Um, as a matter of fact, by, by choosing her, he risks alienating some of the people on, on the more left-wing stretches of the party, but they're not going to vote for Donald Trump anyway, so I, I think he figures his left-wing base is, is, in, is relatively secure. So she, she's closer, I'm not going to say that she's a moderate, but she's closer to a moderate than a lot of the choices could be. She's young. But not so young that you raise all these questions about that she doesn't have the experience to to do this. Um, she again, if you want to like tick off like some of the boxes, it's a female. She is a member of a minority group, so you've got those boxes that she was under. He was under tremendous pressure to pick a a, a member of a minority group, particularly a black female, and and so he's done that. So. Some people don't think that's important, but to the extent that people felt that was important, he, he's done it. Um, I, I just think, I think she's a safe choice in many respects. I think she's superior to a number of the people that he was looking at that had all sorts of vulnerabilities. And at the same time, I think she could be, well, the headline in the New York Times says that, that she's a choice at once safe and she could be energizing. And I, I think she will be energizing to certain segments of people that are looking to vote for, for Joe Biden. So in general, I think as far as a choice of a vice presidential candidate goes, I give him an A. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, for the purpose of our discussion, I, I, I don't, I don't want to discuss whether, you know, Joe Biden is a better candidate than Donald Trump or vice versa. I just want to talk about if you were Joe Biden, 
looking to select somebody to be your vice presidential candidate. I think he could have done uh, gone a lot farther and, and done a lot worse, I guess, than Kamala Harris. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, for a lot of reasons, I, I give this pick an A. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Look, if you're a conservative, I, I understand you're not going to be happy. You're not happy with Joe Biden, and you're not going to have been happy with anybody that he would have chosen to be his vice presidential running mate. I, I understand that. But from a lot of perspectives, including if Joe Biden is elected president in November, including who some of the people that he could have cho- could have chosen to be a heartbeat away from the president, I, I think Senator Harris is is a pretty good choice. And and again, I, I give him an A on this selection. 855-616-1620. Marcus on the north side. Hi, Marcus. Hey, Jeff. Uh, great show as usual. Thank you. Uh, you know, I listen to you and I always call in. Uh, here, here, here's from, from uh, uh, there again, uh, from a black perspective, so for your listening audience, that the choice that he made is going to energize uh <clears throat> Just like when Obama ran for president, mm-hmm. you had Obama, the first black president. We we understand that, and he and he, you know, he had an eight year term. We're looking at the potential here of something history making that where if something happens to Uncle Joe, okay, okay, um, that 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 if she becomes president of the United States, that she could have a eight year term. Mm-hmm. So you had the first black man. And potentially, if this were to play out, if it were to play out, the first black African-American woman to to be in office potentially for eight years in office. Which or or let me stop. Your lifetime. Yeah, well, or let me stop okay, you, Marcus. Even, even, if, even if nothing happens to Biden, um, let's assume because of his age or whatever, he, he's, he's a one-term president, which isn't beyond the realm of possibility. Right. She's 55 years old, That's so right. she's positioned as the as the heir apparent i mean she's she would be the logical choice so you know one way or another you know she's positioned to be the first you know black female president of the united states whether anything happens to him or not sure yep so that's what i was looking at that that of course in your lifetime you would have never i don't know if you ever pictured that but but to have that happen would be just it would just be enormous. So right now, the base is getting more energized mm-hmm. that uh, uh, black women, uh, they're going to be energized that we can vote for a black female. But the only caveat, and I'll leave it at this, and you can expound on it later, whatever, is that I just don't want the suburban women to be like, well, he didn't pick a, a, a white female to be his VP, so therefore uh, I'm going to vote for Trump because... It's not a white female, and, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see uh, uh, this person, uh, a black female, to be the, the president, potentially the president of the United States, if that were to occur. Well, Thank I mean, you. right. Now, thanks, Nicole. Well, there, I mean, there, there's always that issue, but I, I think I, there's no question that, that Barack Obama energized black voters in a way that, that hadn't happened before and, and hasn't happened since the idea that I think that there were a lot of people who grew up in America who never envisioned the idea that you could have a, a black man as the president of the United States. Now, I, I think 
I, I don't know that I think that I agree that there's going to be the, certainly not the same sort of energizing that you saw with, pre, with, with President Obama because there you were voting for the top of the ticket. But I, I do think that, I, you know, one of the things, if you look at if you look at Joe Biden in the polls, you, you see just like Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden doesn't excite a lot of people. I mean, a, a lot of Democrats, they, they prefer him to Donald Trump. I, I get it. And a lot of independents prefer him to Donald Trump. But it's not exactly like Joe Biden. People look and say, oh, my gosh, Joe Biden is going to be the greatest. We're, let's 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 create some space on Mount Rushmore. I don't think anybody believes that. I don't think people think that. I think he's viewed as a superior by a lot of people as a superior alternative to to President Trump. I don't think he's I don't think Biden is energizing. What I think has gone on so far is the energy has been an, an anti-Trump energy. We're going to run through walls to get Donald Trump out of office. That to the extent that there's been energy in the campaign, that's it. I, I do think she brings a degree of that. Now, I, I'm getting a number of people saying, well, she's she's a she's a California liberal and, and she is. But you got to understand, again, this isn't an endorsement of Kamala Harris. It's it's a recognition of the fact that if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, there, there's nobody that Joe Biden was going to pick that you were going to love. That, that That's just not I, I I think um I think Amy Klobuchar would have been a, a great choice but that wasn't going to happen because again I think he was under pressure to, to pick a member of a minority group and also you know, she was a prosecutor in Minneapolis well good luck with that nowadays after what's been going on in Minneapolis but you you look at her you look at her background she was in the San Francisco district attorney's office she was the DA in San Francisco. She was the attorney general in California. Um, matter of fact, she's been, she's been accused of being too tough on crime during her, her stretch as attorney general and as the DA. You know, she won the Senate in 2016. I, I'm just saying she's got, she's got a resume which I, I think will be appealing to a lot of, of people. And, if it's not your side of the aisle, I, I understand this, but I, I think I think she brings a lot to the ticket. Um, let's see, Jeff. I think uh, Senator Harris actually helps President Trump because I think key African American voters who turned out for President Obama will not turn out for her. Um, because they believe, I think that she's perhaps her law and order background is going to uh, hurt her. Uh, well, the, the thing is, where are those voters going to go? Even if there's voters that, that don't like her because of her background as a prosecutor, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to vote against Biden because of that. I, I don't think, um, I don't think, uh, let's see. Um, Jeff, both Obama and Harris are biracial and not exclusively black. Okay, well, that, that's for our purposes of our discussion. That is, in my mind, it's a distinction without a a difference. Uh, Jeff, I'm an independent, professional, white suburban woman. I'm um, ecstatic about Senator Harris. I think she's intelligent. I think she's a respected, you know, person. And and I think a lot of people are going to view that. Jeff, just because you are a black politician does not mean that you are best for the job. No, of course not. I, and I wouldn't argue that, but I think I, I think Joe Biden was under incredible pressure by members of the Democratic Party to find not only a woman, he committed to that early on, and then also to find a member of a minority group as a woman. And and, and like I say, I think she checks a lot of boxes and I'm not demeaning her. I, I think she's I think she's an A choice because I think she has 
I think she has all the qualifications that you would want. And candidly, I'm much happier if if Joe Biden were to be elected president in November. I'm much happier that she would be the vice president than I would if he had chosen um, somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who I am not a fan of, who I think is way to the left of where she is, or some of the other names, Susan Rice, who I, I think would have been a disaster, or he was looking at the congresswoman with the ties to the Communist Party. Um, I just, I, I think that it was a safe choice, but I think it was a positive choice as well. And it's not an endorsement of Joe Biden. It's just the reality of of what's going on. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's it. And so, again, a number of people are, are again, talking about her biracial background. It, forget all that stuff. I mean, forget all that stuff. She's, I, I think, incredibly qualified. And I think she brings stuff to the ticket. And I, I think, you know, for that reason, like I say, I think I, I give her an A in this selection. And I give him an A in the selection. I think it's going to be interesting to see her on the campaign trail because she was certainly kind of a whirlwind in some of the presidential debates.